Welcome to Adventures of White, episode two, the podcast direct from the Isle of Wight. Now, thinking about today's guest, I was reminded of the great Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy author, Douglas Adams. And he has a quote which goes something along the lines of, Imagine what happens when a mainland species gets introduced to an island. It would be like introducing Al Capone, Genghis Khan and Rupert Murdoch onto the Isle of Wight. The locals wouldn't stand a chance. Now, today's guest isn't Al Capone or Genghis Khan. I quite interviewed him or Rupert Murdoch. He is, however, a friend that only took up residence on this island a little over seven years ago. So you can see where the quote comes from. He calls himself the virtual FD a freelance finance director for a portfolio of startups and early stage companies. So in today's podcast, we'll be talking business with my good friend, Kieran O'Donnell. Welcome, Kieran. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Are you okay? I'm very good, thanks. How was that introduction? Have you ever been compared to Al Capone, Genghis Khan and Rupert Murdoch before? Funnily enough, I do have a Venn diagram that I've done maybe the start of COVID. And if you picture three circles, I had George Clooney... I can see that, actually. Mr. Miyagi. And I can't remember the third grade person on these three circles. And in the middle, I had the virtual FD. Okay. So I'm neither of these people. So I had gray, ninja, and another circle. And in the middle, I was the combination of all three. By saying George Clooney, I've got this crazy desire to go and make myself a brand of coffee. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? There we go. But I can see, I can't see the Mr. Miyagi. The Al Capone interesting because a lot of people, I have two friends that likened me to the accountant in Ozark, which oh, I think is you... semi-flattering. That, I, think that's, I think that's very flattering. The money laundering side's a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Genghis Khan, I guess I always think of the chap in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in a store in LA. The Rupert Murdoch obviously is insulting but we can comfortably move on. We're going to talk about what a virtual FD is, and we're going to talk about your role and what it is that you get up to. But if you listen to the podcast with Matt, you know that I ask a couple of icebreaker questions. Now, the podcast is predominantly about the Isle of Wight and the people that live here. So question one, Kieran, and it's a two-parter. Where do you live on the Isle of Wight? And why do you live on the Isle of Wight? In Ride, on the Apty side of Ride, and we moved down from London seven years ago. One of the important parts of maybe making such a big move was that we still felt we needed to be connected. So Ryde was our circle. The number one rule was we had to be close to school for pickups, drop-offs, and I've left my boots at home. And also you had to be able to walk to the pier. So you could walk down Ryde Pier, jump on a ferry, jump on a train into London if you needed to. Or more importantly, you can have a couple of drinks in London and walk home from the ferry. So beautiful places on the island to live we've got we've all got our personal favorites but we very early agreed that we would go and visit them and make the most of the island but we wouldn't be commuting 45 minutes back into ride in and out every day i totally get the i've left my boots at home scenario especially as i now live in the middle of the island quite a long way away from my daughter's school but I, we were the same actually when i've i was born on the island brought up here for most of the time but when we were looking to set up our first home we moved we we chose east cows for the same reason actually i can walk to the red jet i can get to the ferry that sense of 
living the island life and all the wonderful things that entails and i've got some questions i want to quiz you on that in a moment but also the ability to get off right because life isn't always here and if you can make it as easy as possible then i think you can enjoy some of those benefits much easier right connections i think connections are hugely important we might cover it later but the island life is fantastic being connected whether it's digitally or whether it's physically with ferries and ferry timetables it's, it's a huge part of the island economy. It makes a lot of things flow. I think it's also important that you may have this experience where the phone call of doom, that you're in the middle of some work and you your mobile rings and you ride school calling or five ways calling and you're thinking, okay, what is it? So we live in that world of having kids and things go wrong. Not everything's perfect. So that idea of not being 45 minutes drive from school when you get that phone call, softens the blow i was trying to think of some rules for the podcast actually kieran and i and i've got some general rules for life about things in polite company you can and can't talk about so i think the first one is cyclists on the road don't broach that subject with anybody because it's so divisive my second rule for life is obviously religion and politics that kind of but politics is just everywhere isn't it third one is the final lap of the abu dhabi grand prix uh last year uh that again is one of those polarizing conversational points and actually i was going to say maybe ferry companies could be a rule for the podcast that maybe we don't talk about but then how can you possibly have a podcast about the isle of wight without including the ferry companies and it's going to come up time and time again you sent me a message last night that you were doing the mad dash from south sea to the ferry for 12 is it 12 minutes 12 minutes but just to just add we i got i made the 10 o'clock ferry and when we got off in Fishbourne, I reckon there was 50, maybe 60 people walking off the ferry at 10.45. And there's 60 people that could have been on a fast cab at 10.45. So I think, I don't think it's a subject to avoid. I think actually it's a a subject to talk about. Massively, I'd like to think that Whitelink, for example, will put later ferries back on because their service is to keep the island connected not just to put on a token service on a Friday to Portsmouth so people can go to a pub in Portsmouth. It's not about going to a pub in Portsmouth. It's about people feeling connected to family, work, commutes, long commutes, returning home, holidays, whatever it may be. We all like to feel connected. Sure, we're on an island, but the connections actually are a big part of it. Okay, so that's the challenge for me, I guess. If I can get somebody from maybe Red Funnel and White Link onto the podcast. That'd be a great Fantastic. set of questions to ask them about that. Okay, I'm going I'm to move on. I'm curious, Kieran. So I've mentioned before, I've broadly lived on the islands my whole life. However, I'm lucky enough to do lots of traveling. Now in this episode, we're obviously talking business. So you've been here for seven years. Has living on the island changed how you work with, or does it have an impact on working with early stage companies? Yeah, it's had a massive impact in that. When I lived in Wimbledon, I had a client base of early stage companies and startups popping in, random meetings. It was very inefficient. And the beauty of moving further away from clients was physically, when I moved to the island, I, my expectation would be I'd be on a train once a week into London. Totally comfortable with that. One day a week, pop in, see people. And with the transition with or improvement in broadband, home broadband, office Wi-Fi, connectivity, sharing screens. I'm not going to go into London for a one-hour meeting. It meant I only went into London 
twice in 18 months for wow. a meeting that I could not do online. But actually during that period, a huge amount changed. I would always share my screen. So we weren't just talking like we are now. So most of my clients are sales or creative or product or marketing, or they have some creative leading skill set. So Excel and forecasting is not really their comfort zone, but you can still hear people just the relief when it comes to an output they can see and understand. We're doing work on the call. We're not just talking to a checkerboard of faces, having a discussion. Work is actually being done. I did not really factor this when I moved down. And very quickly, it was it was an incentive for me to make it work, but also it made me select businesses who, who adopted this style of working. If someone comes to me and says, I need an FD, but could you be in my office on every Monday? Politely, I'm not the right person for you. So I actually became better at filtering who I'm a good fit for and who mm -hmm. I can have an impact on. And just amusingly, I was in London yesterday. It might sound bad, but I've met seven people yesterday at a kind of a function hosted by Seed Investor. And I've met seven CEOs who I've met for the first time yesterday. Some I've worked with for 14, 15 months. And it sounds really odd, but in that 14, 15 months, you get to know people and their families, their teams. It is quite funny when you get to meet people for the first time in a room. People are taller, smaller than you expected. It's actually, it's just such an amusing icebreaker to know someone so well from a remote working relationship. And then when you're in a room, everyone's going, oh my God, this is you. Like you can reach out and touch and poke and nudge. It's, it's, like when, it's like when you go to watch a football match and the eight foot tall striker for your team who you, you think is invincible is suddenly four foot five, tiny. It's interesting. I'm just going to pick up on something you said, actually, Kieran. So your business adapted to move into the Isle of Wight in, in a way which you didn't necessarily foresee. It's interesting with this covid played a part in that as well you're forcing you to maybe reassess how you run your business that happened to us as well actually so so my company we have people all over the country we have people in hungary in the uk but actually we had an office on the isle of wight and that was very important for us we wanted to get people into a room but covid that shut it all down and rather than that being a problem actually that's been a huge opportunity now we predominantly still hire people in our for our commercial team on the isle of wight but Actually, if we can't find somebody here, we can go anywhere. We've got a we've got a freelancer from Scotland. We've got some great software testers from Albania. And that sort of new way of working, I think, has I think I read during COVID it's just accelerated, brought everything forward by 10 years. And but I think on the Isle of Wight, especially, that's it, it's we're such a community, right? And we're so we're, we're disconnected. We've got a piece of water between us, going back to your point of connection. So it's so valuable. And I think our company has become so much greater for it, although we do try and get together for breakfast once a month. I think still getting that personal connection is important. But that brings me on a rambling way onto something I wanted to talk about is actually this whole remote working thing. And it, it's funny. Now, I've personally worked from home by the oldest in the office, I just mentioned, for about 20 years. I think I was one of the first people on the Isle of Wight to have dual ISDN lines, if you remember those, installed in a private house. You get a grand total of 128 up and down. So I find it funny that we're talking about remote working and it's suddenly such a hot topic in the press, like it's something new. We've been doing it for years here on the Isle of Wight. I've seen to meet new people every week that have either stopped commuting or have moved to the island. So what does make the Isle of Wight such a great location, in your opinion, 
for working from home? We're comparing and contrasting the Isle of Wight to London, for example, because obviously there's many different places <clears throat> or sides of towns in between Ryde and London. But I think when you do raise a family and you're thinking about not just wanting to leave the house at eight in the morning and come home at eight in the evening and see your kids the weekend. I think the world's completely different where people can co-raise their kids. Yeah, my wife has an amazing job with Ellen MacArthur and cows. We share the logistics, the childcare, the pickups, the drop-offs. So all those are hugely important, but you're trying to reach a balance between that and all these aspirations and all this amazing impact you want to have in your day job. So I think the idea was when I was, if I had a pick of kids in London at five o'clock, I'd have to leave central town at four. It might only take me 35 minutes to get back to Wimbledon, 40 minutes. But if something went wrong, you couldn't be late. So actually become, I'm a big believer that you can actually engineer the workflow, the job, the career, the lifestyle that you want. And a lot of people do this very well. You just have to decide and prioritize what it is you want to engineer. Activity is better than ever. COVID has made everybody, not just the likes of you and I, the innovators, shall we say, of video and talking online. Everyone wants to do it. Everyone is comfortable doing it. There's maybe a bit to go where people are comfortable doing work on screen, like there is somebody always sharing the screen, not just looking at a presentation, but getting stuff done. I still think that has a way to go. But if it improves your output and improves your earnings and improves your opportunities and future proofs yourself for the next 20 years, because with all due respect, we're in our middle 40s, late 40s. We've got some amazing talent coming behind us and future proofing. It's not necessarily a worry of mine, but staying on the leading edge of innovating is you never want to be the, like the late 50 year old accountant who just gets totally overtaken by the competition. We do have to stay on our toes here. So yeah. I think it, it, the other one is a great opportunity physically to actually innovate because you have to, because if you don't, you might get overtaken and left behind. Otherwise, it was, it's interesting that having spent such a long, big part of my life here and had, I've had lots of friends here, obviously from growing up, there's always been this thing where you, you go to school here, you grow up here, you go off to university, you leave. You get a job, probably in London, probably another city. And then you're either gone and you're gone for good and you set up life elsewhere. Or then you get to this point of your life where actually, oh, it was quite nice where I grew up and I want to have a family and have kids. So there's a lot of people, blowbacks. I think that is the is that what you're called? Is the, I think that's the professional term. Blow-ins are people that come for the, I'm the, a blow-in. for the summer season. Yeah, no, I'm not a blow-in. I'm gonna, I, you're something else. I don't know. A, I, I need to think of a good nickname for you, actually, okay. Kieran. But yeah, so a blow-back is when people come back to the Isle of Wise. And I think that's probably changing, isn't it? So with you mentioned connectivity and work, this working from home culture, the connectivity. We haven't got the good transport connections that's actually, in my opinion, that's gone downhill from it used to be. Certainly two of the three have big ticks in. So maybe actually the next generation of kids in the Isle of Wight don't have to leave. Perhaps their job, they might they want to leave for university, experience life away from the islands. But actually you could run a business here. You can have a good job. Yeah, we've got to solve that transport issue. That's something which bugs me. You're right. I think there's. it's never been easier to start a business. We both know that. I think if you wanted to live on the island... You can have people who, you'll have some challenges, but you can easily have experts, investors from all over. You can reach out to them, you can present to them, you can go meet them. 
as you said, you can recruit people from all over. They could just be over in Portsmouth or they could be in London or Europe or wherever. Yeah, yeah. That's, let me ask the question, which maybe some listeners don't know. What is a virtual FD? So what is it? What is the day job, Kieran? Is it just fancy accountancy or is that being far too disingenuous to you? Fancy accountancy is, is a term I haven't heard before. So virtual FD is effectively businesses as they grow will get more complex. And traditionally, they would wait till they get to a certain size before they bring in a finance director. So virtual FD, the virtual bid is I'm just not necessarily physically there all the time. The virtual bit is I am remote, but I'm still reachable. I don't use, there's a more recent word, fractional FD, which I think is quite disgusting. (laughs) And also it requires a further explanation. But in simple terms, I would describe myself as being your FD. I'm just not working full time on your business. I'm here. You reach out, we solve stuff, we work it out. We build a relationship. We know what we want to do, but um, you just don't have a need for a full-time finance director. Yeah, and I think that helps companies, right? You've got all that experience of different types of startups, different types of businesses, different types of areas that people are in, rather than just being stuck in one business. So it must your breadth of knowledge of different types of companies and scenarios must be hugely beneficial for your. There's two sides to it. One is, yeah, I know what I do, but actually, the second side is I learn a huge amount from the CEOs I work with. My experience of working, solving one problem with one business, chances are I can just solve another problem in another business. I think the key thing is, you might hear from a lot of accountants, it's Turkey's vote for Christmas. So if you can have an impact on something, you have a recurring problem that you have, you are the recurring solution. You've got some clients for seven years and they're growing beautifully. Others, you might work with them from seed to seed investment that gets the business started when it does what's called a series A round, which tends to be quite a big number, like between five and 10 mil. They might just bring in a full-time CFO at that stage. And that's absolutely fine. So my relationship is, if you picture it, it's from that seed investment to that series A round, you, yeah, you try and have an impact on the revenue of the business, the profits, the cash flow, or the value of the enterprise. But this, the simple kind of reaction is any board member or any investor who sees your output is going to say the words, I was not expecting this. That's the asset test. If you're not having an impact where, for example, a, C- a Series A or a Series B investor looks at it and goes, this is better than some of the other stuff we see and invest in, you've got the reaction. The CEO has heard the right words from that interested investor. That's the, that's, that's the moment you're in. The guy who founded a tech startup on the Isle of Wight and raised money via angel funding. We did a series A and a series A.5, I'm going to call it recently. I totally get that. It's funny for, for lots of founders, and I'll be careful we don't stray too much into a sort of startup podcast, but for lots of founders... The numbers is something actually you're so passionate about your business, right? If you're, I'm a product guy, so I'm passionate about my product and passionate about the people that use it. And it's almost, oh yeah, I've also got to sell it. You know, that's, it's like almost like an afterthought for so many people. And then actually, if I've got to sell it, then I've got to produce it for less than it costs to sell it. And actually I need to make money on top of that. And it sounds so ridiculous, me saying that out loud, but actually the reality is Lots of startup founders are, the heart probably leads where the head probably should. So I guess I, my view of a virtual FD is you're the head for hire. Is that right? So you come in and not necessarily dash dreams, you help 
those things flourish by actually the being this grown up with the numbers. Is that fair? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty close. The accountancy or accountants is such a wide berth of a definition. Most people use an accountant to tell them what they did last year and to file that on the company's house. So it's all looking backwards. Whereas what I'm trying to do is get CEOs or business owners to look forwards. A lot of business owners have been through a lot. Tough times, tricky times, running out of money, think they're out of money, can't pay payroll, but they're still in the game. And there's a lot of resilience builds up by going through these things, but you still got to get to look ahead. Like what's the next speed bump you're going to hit? When is it? Is it next payroll? Is it three months time, five months time? I went back to you know, your example, raising money, you're trying to raise it knowing you are going to run out of money, but it's part of the scheduled startup journey. But it doesn't make it easier if you don't know when we think that's going to be. That's the key thing. Was it what gets measured gets managed? Yeah. Is the saying. You're bringing back say... all, all sorts of post-traumatic stress disorders in my mind, <laughs> Kieran. <laughs> Having been through pretty much all of those things you just described. I think the exciting thing about the island is if you can get startups to start on the island and recruit their first five people on the island, it only takes 40 startups to have created 200 great jobs that can lead to something. So the micro end of this whole opportunity is that if you think you've got to move to London to, to recruit those five people, you don't necessarily have to anymore. The, like the world and landscape has changed to start stuff small when it's technically easier to get started. The island in theory could be a hotbed in five years time. How many little startups could we have, could we have supported during that early stage? If you take the virtual FD piece, it makes them more investable because they get it. They get the oh, idea. Yeah. You're singing from my hymn sheet, actually, Kieran. There's so much opportunity. Frustrating that it has to sometimes be local governments that try and drive that initiative because, frankly, local governments, are they go in a cycle. So as soon as it's time for them to be renewed, some of these initiatives, which don't really mean a lot to a lot of people, get thrown out the door. So... Yeah, I'm very passionate about that. I would love to see the Isle of Wight as a, as a hotbed of creativity. There's some good stuff happening, obviously, in East Cowles with the film and TV stuff, which is going there. There's some really amazing startups and small businesses. I've got a big address book of people who I'd actually like to get on this podcast to ask them that question. Why did you start it here? I have one, one thing on my to-do list is to actually open or create a co-working hub. So I'm not saying I have my eye on the specific building, but I do see an opportunity for not just a co-working space like Building 41 in Cows, which I really hope and sounds like it's got great interest and great, great traction. I think it's a slightly different, weird environment to have a hub that can encourage early stage companies. So I have my mind on Ride, for example, people commuting into Ride, doing school drop-offs, the, back to the connectivity of the hover and the fast cap. I think Ride is a great location opportunity for a I don't say co-working, but a startup hub space where people can actually turn up, plug in, whether it's two hours, four hours or a full day, but actually you can connect a network of people who are all on the island where I think knowledge sharing is a huge part of it. I've seen this with one of my clients that does co-working in Brighton. People turn up and just their purely their coexistence with other early stage companies helps everyone build a more resilient model. It does, it does create a bit of a win-win. So... Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken a lot about the fact you can run a business from the Isle of Wight, but really run it from anywhere. But that's a good point. I think that's part of the appeal of a small community, isn't it? And 
when somebody needs something, the Alawite is wonderful. I might ask you, do you know a good graphic designer? Or somebody might ask me, do I know a good FD? Actually, yeah, you're probably at least two friends removed on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever it's going to be, or the pub, the pub, what a great networking opportunity just to get to chat to people. And yeah, and, oh, that's Ben does something about that. That type of casual sort of suggestion and casual recommendation, I think goes such a long way. So I like that idea of getting a startup hub, Kieran. I'm looking forward to the news break dropping. Exclusive here it's right now. Exclusive on Adventures of on Life. To-do list. Let me go back to ask a question about, we are under a, we're in a, environment of huge cost right inflation is through the roof things are expensive businesses are looking to either trim or cut back or be more efficient so i'm curious if you had some tips some top financial tips for those listening that run a business what would they be i think when my fd had on i i approached cost and income at the same time so whatever business you're running I feel you need to always just scan through your cost base and not do an Elon Musk on, I'm just going to half my workforce. But it is quite healthy, whether in a downturn or just periodically to look at whatever you don't need in your business. So it does not deliver value. You have to consider turning it off or turning it down. And an easy way to think about your cost base is in twofold. One is who's paying for it? So are your customers paying for it? So you're pricing this into your service. If they're paying for it, fine but if they're not paying for it you're paying for it and i think sometimes you can go down a cost base very quickly with a business owner and just pick out the obvious things which don't fit into either category so if do you need the van can you get by on an older vehicle a cheaper vehicle do you need all those subscriptions and all that marketing and all that plug-in and all these accountants refd where's the value in running your business so that's the cost base. And then on the other side, the revenue side, a lot of businesses just have the wrong customer that don't attach the value to what they're delivering. And they miss the sweet spot of actually making profit as a result. So you can have people who have got loads of customers, but if their customers don't attach, attach crucially value to it, you might find actually that you're making no money off a customer, of some customers, but you may have customers that are happy to pay higher prices because they attach a higher value to it. So in theory, you could go down your customer list very quickly and actually go, which customers really love what we do and are happy to pay that higher price? Our income is their cost, just like who's paying for it. They actually very comfortable with the cost they pay, which is our income. And you will find that you've definitely got some customers that you feel are just not part. They don't deliver you value. So why do you have them? Your challenge being is you've got to replace them with somebody. Wow. That's that's a challenge, isn't it? And I think with business owners who very often, as I said it before, lead with their hearts, it's quite that's quite a hard conversation to have, I'd imagine, with lots of your clients. Certainly my business. It's yeah, we, we work very hard to get clients and we work very hard to get customers. And you're absolutely right. Some of those customers are just not right for us. And actually, we're not right for them either. But they needed a solution or they needed something answering at that particular point. So unprofitable customers, can some, not necessarily unprofitable, just sometimes the wrong customer can be so difficult to manage internally, both with your staff. And that's before you even get to the numbers, right? Hard work. You can attract the wrong customer and then you can service the wrong customer and you can be disappointed at the end. Sometimes actually, which customers are you attracting in the first place, which is a marketing question that everyone faces, whether you're doing what I do or what you do, or you run a, you run a business where customers walk in 
like a store or a shop, you still got a relationship, which is how are you, what customers are you attracting? Now, if you run a business, I get you're also the director of marketing until you get your own director of marketing. But sometimes you've got to start right back at who do we want to be our customer? And are we actually happy with the customer, whether it's our marketing or a post or a messaging or a brand? Are we attracting the customer we want? Because if you're attracting a customer that just wants cheap and you're not cheap, you will never make a profit from it. You may not be able to be set up as a business to ever make a profit from that transaction. But do you want a cheap customer or do you want to leave the cheap to someone else to try and work out how they make a profit from that customer and just attract? Everyone has that decision, whether you're running a large corporate or whether you're a small company. on the, the We have the standard philosophy that if actually you're a difficult customer or you're not the right customer for us, what we like to do is introduce you to our competition because can, they might be the right solution for you. Or if they're not, you're certainly going to take up a lot of their time. So, And that's okay. I think it, knowing who you who is your customer and who is, it's okay. Nobody is the right solution for absolutely everybody. Yeah. yeah. Kieran, I want to let's move on from this. And I want to talk about the beach. Now you mentioned the beach in the very start of this. You pretty much live right on it. I know where you are. You're 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 just a stone throw from a beautiful beach. But you've managed to turn walking on the beach into a business opportunity, or is it a marketing opportunity? What's all that about? Oddly enough, I do a lot of ballet runs. And when I do the ballet run, I'm not doing the ballet. I've just got three You've got three. you've got the figure for the ballet. I think Thank you'd you. look great. You'd look great in a leotard. Thank you. I don't do dad ballet. Although that could be a thing. I have three girls that do ballet. Now, this just means that I spend 60-minute stretches over in Shanklin, blessed to have a ballet school on the island of this quality. So there's a lot of amazing people on the island. But it involves 60-minute walks around Shanklin in all sorts of weather at all times of the year. And we're in that authentic meets video, meets content marketing, meets ballet run. So... With the kind of the dawn of authenticity, again, back to COVID and everyone feeling comfortable that you don't need to produce content in the studio, you can actually just hold a phone up to yourself and record something, post on social media, and it's their audience or it's their presentation, not yours. Make say something interesting, you can connect with an audience. So basically, I did this once. I said, well, might as well record a video, and I posted it on LinkedIn, which is my social channel of choice and yeah i just got positive reaction so i thought i'd do a second one and do a third one now they're not technically boring accounting videos that everyone switch off i live in the world of analogies so you know i've climbed a couple of big mountains for example so there's lovely parallels between starting and growing a small business to climbing a high mountain or yeah just what turned out to be a series of 50 videos over 50 weeks on the Luckham end of Shanklin Beach, which is fantastic. It doesn't have a lot of dogs barking and it's sheltered from the wind. And whether the tide is in or the tide is out, it just became a studio where I could just turn up, do the video. Love it. Take them for four minutes. <clears throat> if I get it wrong, I walk back and I just redo it. And then just Love pick it. my daughter up 50 minutes later and post on well, social I'm media. I'm hoping to I'm hoping to talk to the people behind the TV and film studios set up in these cows. So that's a good tip for them. Perhaps they could save a whole heap of money by just literally relocating it to your private studio on the beach. I love that. I love that. That's again, that, and it's it's free. It's healthy. You're out in the in the environment. What a great place to be doing it. It's just got so much to offer here, hasn't it? You'd have to probably 
Well, I don't know. On the South Coast, there's not really many places, maybe the Downs you could go to, but you'd have to go a long way to experience that, wouldn't you? I've done it enough times that wind is the biggest problem. So finding somewhere sheltered is your biggest problem because we all know the wind blows on the island. It blows all the way along the coastline. And it's just amusing that the weather is outside of your control. So it's not surprising. I don't post many when it's raining. So because I only post when there's probably a blue sky or it's dry, everybody thinks it never rains on the island. <laughs> I do have to kind of qualify. It just happens I only record it when the weather's fine. Oh, that's my challenge to you then, Kieran. I'd like to see one, please, in a full gale with the rain coming down your face. I think that would just... So I'm like add... an American weather presenter it'd in be, a hurricane. It'd be charming. Yeah, we could maybe get some X-Factor emotional music on in the background. Oh. The whole thing would be, it would be good, but... Right, Kieran, we've, I tried to keep this podcast for 30 minutes. Once again, I failed that. I'm going to start thinking about wrapping this up. And I've got two questions and I'm going to ask all of my guests these two questions. And it's, I asked this to Matt. Matt thought I was only really wanted him on my podcast to unshamelessly mine his contact database, which is completely correct. So Matt, it really isn't. But it's your turn, Kieran. So who should I interview next? And how do I get hold of them? And you don't give me any names. Just give me some sort of flavor for who I could. I have two, maybe three in mind that I would say are creative, very creative. But I would say, and this isn't a put down on the island. They're world class at what they do. I think what they do is just read their reach, their global reach, their passion for what they do. I know there's many people on the island that I bump into and I'm just so impressed with their output, but easily two or three, I think would be great to, for them to tell their story. And I think for your audience to know more about the person behind the craft or the art that they create and the stories to create that art would be, yeah, would be very excellent. That sounds brilliant. And my final question is, Kieran, punt away. How do people find you online? Where are you? How do they get, if they've, if you've said something in this podcast, which is maybe resonated with them and they'd like to talk to you and find us a bit more, where do they go? If you are a small business or a startup, you can just go to ownyournumbers.com and click start. And that's as easy a first step as I can make to starting your journey. If you want to find out more about me and the content I produce, you can find me on LinkedIn and I can give you a URL to stick in the notes. Super, super. Kieran, it, it amazes me, the people that... I meet in the Isle of Wight. Here we are talking to world-class FD, lives in Ride with great customers, great insights. We're really blessed to have you. And thank you so much for taking part in Adventures of Wight. Thank you. Many thanks.